when we think about the people we admire most, when we look back on history, it's usually not the people who took on the small fights. It's the people who took on big challenges. Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I appreciate you all coming out to Tree Fort 11 and listening to us talk about politics. Uh, my name's Chuck Norton. My co-host is Elliot Norton. And our guest today is Luke Mayville. Thank you for coming out from Reclaim Idaho. I have a little introduction written out here for him. Luke Mayville is a co-founder of Reclaim Idaho. Reclaim Idaho, in case you're unaware, is a grassroots organization dedicated to advancing civic engagement here in Idaho. Both Reclaim Idaho and Luke Mayville gained national attention in 2018 when they successfully campaigned for Medicaid expansion through a ballot initiative, which passed with 61% voter approval. Big time, big time. Uh, through his work with Reclaim Idaho and political activism, Luke Mayville is a leading voice in progressive politics in Idaho and beyond, advocating for policies that benefit working families in Idaho, as well as promote democratic participation. And that's super important right now is, is making sure that people are engaged uh, in the vote, especially, you know, with the news coverage of politics that is happening currently. Um, Elliot's going to start out with a question for you, and it has a, a nice long preamble. Yeah, it's a really long, I'm very long-winded, so, but thanks for coming. <laughs> so, so, and I actually wrote it out because uh, I was worried that I wasn't going to phrase it correctly off the cuff, so I'm going to read something. Is that okay? <laughs> that is perfectly fine. All right, cool. So in Idaho, there is a misdirected fear of government. Rather than seeing it as a necessary part of democracy, it is viewed only through the lens of its most oppressive impulses. Ironically, certain anti-government activists have found their way into leading governmental offices, and instead of using their new position as a way to delegitimize or stymie institutional power, they are wielding it with borderline uh, revolutionary vigor. Um, and I just listed out some of the bills that have been that, have be, that are being proposed right now in this legislative session. The first one that's this is a list of controversial bills. The first one is SJR 101. That would require 6% of voters in all 35 Idaho legislative districts to sign a petition for an initiative or a referendum to qualify for election. There's HB 123, and that amends and repeals existing law to end eligibility for Medicaid for certain persons. Um, there's HB 179 to prohibit ranked choice voting and instant runoff voting. There's HB 231, and that adds to existing law to provide that certain persons and institutions must take reasonable steps to restrict the access of minors to what, what is termed sexual exhibitions. And in the bill, sexual ex exhibitions refers to sexual conduct. And the way sexual conduct is, is defined is anything that has a sexually provocative dance gesture performed with accessories that exaggerate male or female primary or secondary sexual characteristics. And just an example of a secondary uh, sexual characteristic, that's a beard. Um, yeah, so you can't f be careful flaunting your, your beard, beard in public. And lipstick at the same time. Uh, yeah. In a, in, a, in a dance, if yeah. HB 231 <laughs> yeah. passes. Which and I guess, like, um, in all the coverage that's been done with the legislator, I haven't seen, like, these bills kind of listed that way. And I guess my, my big question to you is, how do you decide the intent behind these laws? Are these cynically put forward solely to win elections? Or do you believe these ideas are broadly supported? Um, and if they aren't broadly supported, then what is wrong with our gov government's plumbing that they get so much traction in the legislature as well as the media? Was that, a, was that a lot to chew on? It's a lot, but I think it's a good start. I think I can take that on. And, <clears throat> and maybe we could, you know, um, address different aspects of it over the next half hour and what we might get to all of it but um, I think generally 
what motivated us to get started as Reclaim Idaho is just a deep sense that our government is not serving the basic needs of the majority of the population, um, especially, as Chuck mentioned, um, in the description of what we do, working people, working families, um, people who don't tend to have a whole lot of power and, and political influence, they do still have a vote, but that doesn't seem to matter that much in terms of what the government actually prioritizes. Um, so a number of these really, uh, you know, oppressive or silly or just wrong-headed bills that you've mentioned, Elliot, um, the one common theme with all these bills is none of them are being demanded by the majority of the population. They're coming from somewhere else. Uh, in the case of, I think it's a comp it's complicated where, where they're coming from and what the motivation is. I think it's different based on the bills. I think when you look at things like the crackdown on uh, public performances of uh, things like drag shows or the crackdown of books that some legislators don't like in libraries and schools and the crackdown on um, so-called social justice curricula, curriculum in colleges and high schools. There is some popular support for those bills. It's not the majority, um, but there is something like a panic right now all across our country and I think the best explanation for it is just a, a deep discomfort and fear that people have that the culture is moving beyond where, where they're comfortable with uh, along an, a number of different dimensions. And when we've gone out and talked to people, it is, it is disturbing how many people will actually echo some of these things when you, when you talk to people face to face. For example, when we went out and collected signatures over the last year to get an initiative on the ballot to increase funding for public schools, you did hear people voicing a lot of concerns about what's happening in our schools, at, where in our view, those, those concerns weren't actually reflected in the reality of what's happening in our schools, but, the, but the, the deep fear and worry is still out there. So on one side with some of these bills, there, these legislators are at least responding to a very vocal minority in the population that's, that's deeply afraid of where they believe American culture is going. But then I just want to point out some of the other bills that you mentioned that they're prioritizing have almost zero support in the public. For example, what they're currently trying to do by cracking down on the ballot initiative process and making it virtually impossible for citizens to put initiatives on the ballot, every public poll, every survey of the, of, of the uh, Idaho public tells us that that only has support from like 8% of the population, 10% of the population, 80% is on the other side, and then a few don't really know what's happening. But I wonder if there's an income corollary there, too, with that 10% that are in favor of squashing, but I'm just kidding. I don't know about that. <laughs> in some cases, maybe, but, yeah. but, it's, but, what, but and you find that all across the country. There's a coordinated attack on the ballot initiative process in states across the country, 
And what they're trying to do right now in Idaho is require, if you want to get an initiative on the ballot, you have to get not just a whole, a ton of signatures from the public, but you have to get a really high number in all 35 of the districts in the state, which puts it out of reach and makes it inoperable. Uh, so it basically turns it into a dead, a dead letter. Um, and that is deeply unpopular because the ballot initiative process is one of the only ways that ordinary people who don't have lobbyists in the legislature who who don't you know know these people by their first names and have a lot of money to can't donate to their campaigns it's one of the only ways that ordinary people can have a voice um and on that front then it really just becomes i mean what's motivating them to do that it really that it just really comes down to something a lot a lot like what we call corruption um uh, just a a uh special interest groups having profound influence over lawmakers um, and being able to just overrule the vast majority of the population, which is, again, that's a, that's a big motivator for us. That's we, we want, as an organization, we want to be the counterbalance, the counterweight to that, to those forces. Yeah. So I have, said, I have, uh, one, one oh, go ahead. quick follow-up. You said that there was a nationally coordinated attack on voter referendums. Um, have you looked at some of the other bills in other states? Is this like a copy and paste job or? It does appear that way. And, and um, <clears throat> over the last four to six years, there's been a lot of legislation that's come along in states across the country to try to make it harder to get initiatives on the ballot. Um, in, 2000, in, in, in 2021, Idaho passed a major law it was called Senate Bill 1110, um, that actually passed this 35 district requirement to get an initiative on the ballot that I mentioned a minute ago, this very oppressive law. They put it on the books. It was the law. But our organization sued them um, and filed a lawsuit with the Idaho State Supreme Court. The Idaho State Supreme Court ruled in our favor unanimously, struck down the law. Um, and that was a unanimous, uh, it was a landmark decision really in the, it, and they not only struck down the law, but they declared for the first time ever in Idaho as a court that the, the right to put things on the ballot is a fundamental right. It deserves to be put in the same class as the right to bear arms, the right to speak, the freedom of speech, uh, the freedom of religion. It's a fundamental right that cannot be just willfully infringed upon by the by by by, leg, by the legislature, so we got that struck down. But to to your question about the national coordinated, one reason we strongly believe this is a nationally coordinated thing is they're now come what they've now come back with is not just a regular law because the courts told us that if they come back with a law again, the court will strike it down. So what they've done is they said, our only avenue now is to actually change the Constitution. So to actually, so what they're proposing now is a constitutional amendment to basically take the right away by, by changing the Constitution itself. The good news is the only way you can change the Constitution is by putting it direct, you have to put it on the ballot. So if they get this bill through in the next few days, it's still gonna go before voters. So in November of 2024, we're going to have an opportunity to vote it down 
but we think that's wrong to even put it on the ballot. It's it's wrong to put it would be wrong to put freedom of religion on the ballot and roll the dice and give voters a chance to vote it away. So why would you do it with a fundamental citizen right? This is what they're doing across the country though. They're putting that and that's where it's so clear that it's coordinated is because all at once all these different states are putting constitutional trying to put constitutional amendments on the ballot and it's often in, includes this all districts requirement this idea that in in i think in mississippi they went really extreme and made it every town you have to get a certain number of signatures from <laughs> oh my every gosh. town um but but and then other states they did Zip code <laughs> uh, but but yeah pretty much but at, all these different states are doing like some version of it so it's like all congressional districts, all state legislative districts, all towns, all um, wow. and because they basically understand that that would shut down the process. And that, but yet they can try to sell it. And this is what they're trying to do. They try to sell it as this is just a way to include everyone in the process. <laughs> right. That's so this is actually they call it strengthening the process because we're including everyone. But everybody can um, vote too, so it's like <laughs> yeah. right. And they, like the uh, so they put out this messaging. They're saying all we're doing in Idaho, we're strengthening the process. And uh, there was a by the way, like there was a news coverage in uh, Twin Falls the other day where they parroted the talking point of the supporters of it, and they said, "Oh, a new bill has emerged to strengthen the process." And I immediately called that person up. <laughs> That's not you can't say that. That's not true. And and fortunately, <laughs> they've been they've like they've modified their the way they talk about it. But just because not because they like felt pressured by me, but because they look closely at it and they're like, "Oh yeah, you're right. That's ridiculous." But but um, but the thing, but they um, they're doing it all across the country, and it appears to be, you know. If you're not familiar, you can look into groups like ALEC, the ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. It's basically nationally coordinated um, corporate interest group that they come together in big conferences every year and they bring state legislators all to some. So some years it will be like a big conference in Texas where there'll be a bunch of state legislators from all over the country, including from Idaho, will go there together and it will be like all these lobbyists from Exxon and all these other corporations and things will, they'll actually write the, what they call model legislation. And they say, these are our real priorities here. Take these back to your States. And that's how you end up with these like cookie cutter bills all over. So they've done that to prevent people from raising the minimum wage all across the country. They do it to try to kill the ballot initiative process. And by one account, the general agenda, is that, that like, and this this is coming from someone who used to be a lobbyist in that world, but then converted away from it, um, and an apostate, you might say. He's <laughs> he said um, he basically he said this to a, an Idaho reporter recently. He said um, the gen the agenda is best characterized as an effort to prevent, you know. Demo the democratic citizenry from joining together uh, in attempts to address inequality, in, in attempts to, to address economic injustice and other forms of you know inequality. Um, we don't want that type of political power to to exist. We want to try to stamp down on that. We think 
lobbyists like us really know what's best and the power is better concentrated in our hands. Wow. That's really, that's really wild. Um, I kind of want to talk about the, the fact that obviously your organization and you are incredibly focused on the importance of democracy and our legislature acting in a way that represents their actual constituents um, rather than I'll just call it, you know, uh, focusing on, on aspects of, of outrage of concerned citizens. Um, the, the actual democracy seems to be under attack. However, I don't see that in media headlines as prominently as some of these other issues where, you know, we're talking about it and a majority of Idahoans are probably not in favor of it. Your organization is out talking to people on the streets getting signatures um how can you maybe elaborate how the these distracting um issues uh might be covering up actual intent of of you know uh taking away democracy from the public is are those types of tactics of effective is that a tactic to try to to distract the population so when you're out there bringing the point that democracy is under attack right now and everybody's concerned about what someone's wearing at a drag show mm-hmm. is that is that is that a problem is that is that a tactic that you see being guess, used yeah i guess like how conspiratorial is it is it is it or is it just like kind of misaligned incentives mainly yeah good point i don't so I tend to think I tend to be skeptical of kind of like unified, you know, conspiracy theories that there's like one grand intention behind these things. And a lot of times it's kind of a lot, a lot of bad actors aligning in their interests um, okay. all at once. And But there there certainly is a dynamic that happens where um legislators and lobbyists see opportunity in these kind of like issues that I would call kind of moral panic issues and sometimes are called culture war issues. So all the controversy around drag shows, all the controversy around libraries and what books like they notice that those are the issues where there is at least some real fervor out there in the population. Again, not the majority, um, but there is some real fervor. So lobbyists and legislators do latch onto that as a way to stir people up. And here's where I would point to a, a, a very real, I don't know if I'd call it like a conspiracy, but I definitely call it a strategy. There are special interest groups in that are powerful in Idaho that are more of the kind of anti-government, as, as you mentioned earlier, Elliot, kind of uh, worldview. And... Um, their main agenda is more of the anti-democracy, um, in anti-democracy, anti-government um, agenda, where they're you know they want to dismiss and they want to dismantle public institutions. So, for example, they're outright opposed to public education. They want to end public education. These are some of the most powerful interest groups in Idaho. They actually say, we want to end, they say it, like it's not me, they've said it in their newsletters and things, we want to completely defund and end public education. But they know that that's not popular. 
like that in every public opinion poll it's clear the vast majority of people support public education um so even though they spend like most of their time when they're lobbying trying to pursue their anti-public education agenda and the and 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 they like they also support things like ending the ballot initiative process so this kind of broad anti-democratic anti-public anti-public institutions agenda that's the main that's where they put most of their actual resources when it comes to advancing legislation when it comes to elections they pivot so when you you know when you're 4 months out from key elections they don't go and try to you know they they go and try to um, punish their opponents at the polls right so the these special interest groups they put all kinds of ads on the air and send out all kinds of political mail to attack all the all the um, legislators who wouldn't vote their way but they don't the mailer isn't hey this legislator wouldn't um, vote to dismantle public schools instead it's this legislator supports like drag library story hour and wears a mask um, in public and um, supports vaccines blah 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 so it's all they they pivot to the culture war interesting when, when the election comes around but then they and they try to leverage those culture war issues to advance an agenda that's far less popular that all the because all the like most of the voters they're appealing to aren't even against public education and a really good example of what we're talking about here is a lot of these special interest groups both in Idaho and nationally one of their biggest causes right now one of their like fighting causes is to create made like school voucher systems all over the country so they want to they want to take money out of public schools and and turn and take tax dollars out of public schools in order to give it to people to spend on private school tuition i saw that that was recently voted down fortunately um here in idaho correct yes and that was a huge victory for us and uh, all the organizations we work with um we held that off in idaho this year and it doesn't look like there's going to be any voucher legislation, even though it's passing in states all across the country right now. Um, but this is a great example because these special interest groups want to tell this story that we have all these, we have this popular movement of parents who are really upset about like the pandemic and about, about um, remote learning and all the frustrations that came with that. And they're really frustrated about like, critical race theory and all these things happening in public schools. Uh, and there's thousands and thousands of people who are so frustrated with public schools. All of that, based on what we've seen, all that's true, actually, up to a point. There, it, again, it's probably not the majority, but there are a lot of people who are upset about all that stuff. Which I, I was a teacher up until two years ago when that news, we actually had a podcast two years ago right. where, where critical race theory was a, a buzzword that was, you know, uh, in the yeah. public. And I had no idea. I had to look it up. I right. had no idea what that was. None of these, <laughs> yeah. none of these issues were being taught yeah. in the classroom. It was just, a, it, it just seemed right. to spawn from somewhere out of yeah. the media. And it's, and, I, and I'm not saying there's, yeah, there's not. Tr there's not much truth in the actual accusation, but there's truth that a lot of people are paranoid about it and worried about it. But here's the thing. Wow. They try to take another, these special interest groups try to claim 
people are so frustrated with the public schools that they're willing to defund them. They're willing to actually, that, that they're also demanding that money be taken out of them and put into private schools instead. That is not true at all. And we found that and we knew that because we spent the last year going out and trying to get people to sign an initiative to at, increase funding for public schools. And like thousands of times we had the interaction with someone where they would say, oh, the public schools, I'm, I gotta tell you, I'm worried about that critical race theory and that other stuff. And, and we would talk it through with them and say, oh, well, this initiative actually isn't about the curriculum. It's just whether you support things like making sure teachers can make a decent living so that they don't move out of the state, right? And when we, when we made that argument, people would say, oh, okay, yeah, I support paying teachers more. I support, yeah, I support public schools. I'm just worried about what, I'm just worried about the curriculum stuff. So that's an example, like th they, of, of this dynamic where these special interest groups, they try to stir up the culture war issue in order to, you know, attack like at the heart to, to you know, support their deeper agenda, which is to attack these basic public institutions and democracy itself. And it's organizations like ours that have to come out and people have to speak up and, and make sure that at the very least, we're holding the line against their attacks on democracy and their attacks on the, the most basic public institutions that we cherish, whether it's voting, pub, you know, being able to send your kid to a good school, being able to send your kid to a library, um, you know, in being able to have a hospital in your community that you can access, just basic things like that. Can you talk a little bit about um, how you basically were able to get through the difficulty of getting 18 legislative districts, signatures in 6%, I think it is, of 18 legislative districts to, to, to push the, the education initiative on the ballot, which then forced the legislature, if I'm not mistaken, to go ahead and vote on a bill, correct, to increase educational funding. So right. like Reclaim Idaho essentially mm -hmm. forced the legislature to put into law something that was that was popular with the people. That's and, right. and how did that, that process feel? And did you have any discussions yeah. with any of the legislatures and what changed there to get them yeah. to do that? Well, in, I'll just, just say really quickly, in, um, in 2018, we managed to get the signatures we needed in 18 different districts. We got Medicaid expansion on the ballot. That passed, as you mentioned earlier, Chuck, with 61% of the vote. And then that program went into full effect. And there are now over 100,000 people getting um, Medicaid health care coverage because of that in Idaho. Um, and then our, our second big push was for this public education uh, initiative and we had a couple different rounds of that the first time we got shut down by the pandemic and then we came back and we had this initiative called the quality education act it would make the biggest increase in public education funding that we've seen in several decades um, uh, over 300 million dollars a year we got that on the uh, we got the signatures once again to get that on the ballot and then something extraordinary happened the governor um, all of a sudden, not long after we got it on the ballot, called an emergency special session. It was the off season for the legislature. They were all back home. 
He called an emergency legislative session. How much does that cost? I'm just wondering. Quite a lot. That, <laughs> at least probably tens and tens of thousands of dollars. But <laughs> but every legislator in Idaho had to, you know, drop what they're doing and go back to the Capitol, you know, dust off their suit or whatever and go back to the <laughs> Capitol and take off um, the spurs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, uh, and for a one-day session where the governor was putting on the table one single bill and they had to vote up or down. And the bill, and, and, and we've got to just step back. What was our initiative? Our initiative was increasing funding for public schools by over $300 million a year, paying for it by taxing high-income earners and corporations. So we would have restored the corporate tax rate in Idaho to what it used to be, not some big new amount, but just what it used to be 20 years ago and what it was in the 1990s. And then we were adding a new tax just on the amount you made over your first 250000 So So we're not going to touch all, – all of you, don't worry. We weren't going to touch your first 250000 that you make in a year. But just the amount you make above that, we, we were going to add a new tax to that. And if you're a married couple, 500000 so, um, but that would have been enough to increase funding for education by over $300 million. So that was our proposal. The emergency special session, what they came in and did is, um, reversed our, their proposal, reversed our tax proposal and actually made the, made the income tax slightly less fair rather than more fair. And our, which our, our view is ours would have made it more fair made it slightly less fair. And then it also, their bill repealed our, our initiative even like before it even got voted on. So it made it so that even if it were to get voted on, it would be wow. repealed. However, believe it or not, we believed in the big picture. It was a victory because the big positive part of the proposal was that they put forward actually more funding for education than we so that that they put forward 410 million for education which is the so and here's the basic dynamic of it and this really speaks to the potential of getting citizens organized and bring people together around a common agenda um they were so terrified of tax our tax proposal that they felt forced to cave in on our education demand. Where did the burden of the tax uh, land then? Well, they, so what they did was they um, changed, the, 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 the way that it became less fair is that the top tax rate was um, 6%. And they basically created a flat tax. So everyone now pays the same income tax rate, and it's 5.8%. Um, and so in so everyone's income taxes pretty much remained the same or went slightly down. But the big beneficiaries of that are the people who make the most money. Uh, so it, so that's the sense in which it's the most the how why it became less fair. But here's the thing. The overall tax, the total tax cut that they passed was only about $150 million, which is a large tax cut, but compared to a $410 million funding increase, the, 
the, the, the education part was much bigger than the tax part, and people knew that. And that's why the, like, the far right in the legislature um, opposed the governor's plan. And, every, and all the kind of slightly more moderate and then all the Democrats all supported the govern, governor's plan because they thought, oh, even though the tax part's not great, the, the education part's a big breakthrough. And just to give you a sense, as we speak within the next few days, they're going to vote to push all that funding through. And it's going to be by far the biggest raise for teacher salaries in decades. It's going to be about 6000 a year is what they're talking about. Oh, wow. Um, and that, I mean, well, they're, they're God kinda... willing it all happens. But, but then it's also another part that we're really proud of because this was one of our big demands that we were talking about with our signature drive. Um, they're putting a large amount of money into support staff wages. So things like teachers' aides, cafeteria workers, et cetera, um, $100 million, which could be enough to get boost a lot of people up closer to $15 an hour, which I know is not a lot of money to make, but a lot of them are currently making like $11 an hour. So um, so that was in, in the basic dynamic here was that the governor didn't want to have a popular initiative pass that then he would have where with a tax proposal where he would then have a lot of pressure to have to repeal that. So he wanted to avoid that whole showdown. Okay. And then, but then, so he came up with this thing where we're going to get a bunch more funding for schools. And even though a bunch of the legislators didn't want to vote for his proposal, he was able to go to them and say, hey, this is the only game in town because if you don't vote, this is, I know this is way more education funding than you want, but if you don't vote for this, you're getting the Reclaim Idaho thing. Um, so you better vote for this. And that's exactly what happened. And that's why we felt so confident Dang. saying, telling the story that we forced this to happen. Like if we wouldn't have done it, there would not have been the political will to ram through $410 million in new funding, which by the way also includes, and it's kind of a limited in some ways, but about an $8,000 scholarship um, for, for college too, or for, for community college or trade school actually. For all students or eligible students or? I think I have to, I have to figure out because they're, they're like trying to amend it now in, which, <laughs> in ways that could restrict it in different ways, but it's going to be available to a lot of students. That's good. Yeah. So. Um, along that line, you know, having that reclaim Idaho legislation about to be on the vote and then the Idaho legislature coming in and, and making adjustments, I, I'm predicting that that was, or, or kind of just guessing that was due to the fact that the Medicaid expansion passed. Um, and right now it seems like the Idaho legislature is trying to go and usurp what the Idaho voters voted in place. Correct. As far as repealing, Mm -hmm. the 61%. And we haven't even touched on that. And I don't see a lot of news coverage about that either, which is surprising to me. But in basically five years after Reclaim Idaho put that ballot initiative on the ballot, people voted in favor of it overwhelmingly. Now there's, there's stirring of, uh, you know, we need to get this removed. Like we have to undo what Idaho's, Idahoans voted in place. Can you talk That's on right. that I mean, process? There it's, I mean, the bad news is that there are still powerful legislators that are trying to repeal the Medicaid expansion program. They actually put forward a bill 
It would completely repeal Medicaid expansion and take Medicaid coverage away from uh, 100,000 people. Um, and the main sponsor of it, someone named John Vanderwoude, um, said at one point something like, yeah, we'll, we'll come up with an alternative plan. Like, we'll maybe we'll give everyone $400 um, <laughs> that they can use towards health care. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, like, maybe that would pay to, like, sit in a waiting room for a couple minutes. So, like, um, but... It, that, but it's just this heartless, you know, agenda, and um, and they have all kinds of justifications. They claim that it's like overburdening the budget. It's it's not true. Um, you'll see them say things like, um, "They said it was only going to cover this many people and cost this much, and now it's and now it's covering a lot more people and costing more." And from my perspective, it's like. Yeah, we went, our best prediction was that um, it was going to cover 62,000 people, so we went around and campaigned on that. If I had known it would cover 100,000, we would have won more votes. <laughs> I would have been more excited about that. So it's ridiculous, like, oh, this thing's out of control. 100,000 people desperately needed health care who, who weren't having it, and they're now able to, like, see a doctor and work for the first time, like, in, you know, 10 years. It's like... That is not a problem. That's actually a success story. But and then and the reason why and if you're if you're more like fiscally conservative, you've got to understand when they talk about oh it's costing more, what they always leave out, and this was always the the most no brainer reason to support Medicaid expansion, ninety percent of the costs are covered by the federal government. So when more people enroll, it costs us more as a state, but we get more federal dollars. And for every penny, extra penny that it costs us, we get nine from federal dollars. And that money flooding into the state is having huge benefits. Uh, and I know we could get more into that. But but the, here's the good news. Um, it's extremely difficult for them to actually repeal Medicaid expansion because even though these legislators kind of do their like saber rattling and they try to do it, it we won that vote in almost every district and they know that. And it is it would just be unpleasant to know that you've like ripped away health care from like three or four thousand of your own constituents in your own district. That's not a pleasant thing to do as a legislator and have to like see those people in the grocery store. Um, so I think that's ultimately the reason why they're not going to succeed. Right on. All right, uh, we got time for one more. Yeah, I was I was actually going to ask you. First of all, thanks for all the work you do and your organization does to to help keep democracy here in Idaho. How do you how do you keep doing it? How do you face like how do you deal with the frustration? Um, like obviously with the education and the Medicaid and people talking about repealing it and you're doing all this work, how do you, how do you keep a positive outlook and how do you, how do you keep pushing this? Like what's the, get some advice for all of us that get frustrated with, with <laughs> politics, just Thanksgiving and Christmas, especially, I guess. <laughs> I mean, some people's instinct is to say places like Idaho politically are so bleak that like why be involved like why not just avoid it if you can 
and if it's having such a deep sorry I need a cough a little bit um and if it's and if it's just something that you personally can't stand why not actually leave like why not go to a state that where the politics are better if you're going to be involved in civic life and being active wouldn't your time be much better spent um at least in like a purple state or a state where there's like more opportunity to make more of a difference or something like that um i think something that a lot of us believe very deeply is that there's a special type of satisfaction and maybe even a little bit of joy uh to be had in taking on really big fights and and just the idea that like when we think about the people we admire most when we look back on history it's it's usually not the people who took on the small fights it's people who took on big challenges and when the when things were really against the odds right and the, and and that can be very motivating to 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 know that the kind of deck is stacked against you but at the same time knowing that the the stakes are so high and that these outcomes are so critical for thousands of people across an entire state that it's still very worth doing and the cause is still noble and and um and a lot of people are counting on it whether or not even if they're not paying close attention their lives will be different based on the outcome of these fights so that's in a, in a way for me personally it's it's more motivating being in a in such a tough political environment it's it's a it's a uh, uniquely satisfying challenge to take on right on well, awesome thank you so much uh, how can people donate to reclaim idaho or or follow you what's the best method the <clears throat> the easiest thing is just go to reclaimidaho.org you i would urge people sign up for our email newsletter that's the best way to stay in touch with us you can donate there as well um and in the not too distant future, we'll be uh, launching, God willing, you know, launching another major campaign, and there'll be opportunities to volunteer and get involved. Sweet. Thank Excellent. you so much for your Thanks time. Thanks so today. much for your time. Thank you all. Excellent.